For week 17 of the year 2020, this is Father Roderick to the Max. Welcome to a brand new episode of Father Roderick to the Max, this new series that I produce and record specifically and exclusively for you because you are one of my supporters, you're one of my patrons, and without your support, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do. So if you are a new supporter, a new patron, welcome. I hope you enjoy this show. I always welcome your feedback as well. So if you want me to talk about specific things, if you have questions, Patreon.com is the place to post your comments, and then I will take that into account when I record my next episode of Father Roderick to the Max. In this episode, we will talk about uh, one of the dishes that I love to prepare. It's been comfort food for me, what mac and cheese is for a lot of Americans. Fried rice is for me. It is the go-to dish when I've had a rough time and I just want to eat something that is nice and reasonably healthy. I will give you my recipe for fried rice. I'll also talk a little bit more about what I've been doing in the past few days. Um, It's springtime. We have a little bit more time on our hands, so I've been cleaning not just my own house, but I've also been cleaning up in the parish, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. We'll also go back in history, and I'll talk about my memories and my unfortunately right now lacking uh, adventures in the world of Elphia, which is a, an imaginary kingdom that uh, gathers its um, inhabitants twice a year in two locations in the Netherlands and during a fantasy festival. And this year, all those festivals have been cancelled to my chagrin. But I have some stories to tell about previous episodes. Also, talk about comics. I will give you a review of a series uh, that I read on on Marvel Unlimited from 2018, so very uh, recent. And it's about one of my favorite uh, uh, superhero groups, and that is the Fantastic Four. Um, And then we'll go to the world of video games. And I'll talk a little bit more about a very, very cool experience in Battlefront 2, where in the game, you are able to walk around in in environments and worlds that you only see very briefly in the movies. But these video games make it possible for you to actually, well, not really live there, but to dwell there. And it is really, really cool stuff. So all that and more coming up in this episode of Father Roderick to the Max. But first, let's go into the kitchen. So I really had never heard of fried rice before I started to podcast in English. And we started to talk about food regularly in my in my shows, my early podcasts. I always used to have a food segment. And uh, the term that we use in the Netherlands for fried rice is different. And we use the Indonesian and Malaysian term for it, nasi goreng. It means actually exactly the same. Nasi is rice and goreng means fried. So it's, it's fried rice. But uh, when I initially came across some, uh, some, some recipes on, on English uh, websites, I was like, well, what is this fried rice that, <laughs> that I see everywhere? And, and a lot of those recipes are very different from the type of nasi goreng or the type of fried rice that we eat here in the Netherlands. So here is how I prepare it. And I found this recipe on a website that, that gives you the secret recipes for the Chinese restaurants in my country. As you know, uh, you can you can get Chinese food all over the place in the world, uh, but every country has its own style of Chinese food, and oftentimes that 
Chinese food has been heavily influenced by local tastes and by uh, also other cultural influences. So in America, when you go and eat Chinese food, it is radically different from the stuff that you would buy here. But even the food that we eat here, and that is labeled Chinese as Chinese food, actually oftentimes has not much to do with food that they eat in China, which I discovered when I traveled to China with my mom, and I, I stayed there for two weeks and ate anything but the type of Chinese food that I was used to here in the Netherlands. So I think that uh, the fried rice recipe that I'm going to give you is based more on, let's say, a, a mix of, of some Chinese-style uh, uh, cooking and a, a lot of Indonesian influences, which, of course, comes from uh, the history of the Netherlands with Indonesia. So this, this recipe is, if you, if you follow this recipe, you would get the, the same fried rice that you would normally buy here at a Chinese restaurant. Unfortunately, my local Chinese restaurant is also closed because of uh, the um, uh, corona crisis. And so I haven't had Chinese food for a month now, which is kind of a long time. So that's why I'm trying this out in my own kitchen. What you need is, of course, oil. And the secret to good fried rice is not just regular oil, but flavored oil. And you can make it yourself. Um, you just take any type of uh, uh, oil that you use to, to fry. It doesn't need to be, you know, very expensive oil. But what matters is that you take one red onion. You take six gloves of, uh, gloves of, of garlic. Is it called a glove, right? Like It's like, that, like a glove on your hand, or is it... Hmm. Or clove? No, wait. <laughs> How do you pronounce that? Now I'm starting to doubt. Uh, I think it was a clove, right? Clove of garlic. Let me just type that in and see if Google comes up with something. Um, yeah, 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 there you go. So the whole garlic is called a head or a knob. Each small individual segment of garlic head is a, oh, a clove. Okay, so it's not a glove, it's a clove. So you need six cloves of garlic. Um and then you also need uh, ginger, about 30 grams. What you do is you heat up the oil, you cut the red onions in, you know, kind of rough pieces. It doesn't need to be uh, very too tiny, too precise. What matters is the taste. You uh, take the cloves of, of, of garlic and you put it under your, uh, under your knife and just hit it so it just opens up and uh, so you crush it. And with the ginger, you throw it into the oil and you let it fry until the, uh, the pieces of, uh, uh, of garlic and onion are uh, brown. So really, uh, it, it, you're not going to eat it. So you, you can just leave it in. It, you have to be careful that it doesn't burn, especially with uh, garlic, because then it, uh, it has a very strong taste. Uh, and so once... Once all these pieces are, are browned up, you, uh, you take them out, you let the, the oil cool down, and then you can save that for you know, many of your dishes. What it, what it creates is a very aromatic oil um, that will flavor anything you prepare with it. And for this fried rice recipe, it's, uh, it is what, what makes the difference, really. Now, once you have that oil... Um, you you gather your ingredients. What you need is um, two pieces of uh, spring onion. You can also use leek. Leek is a little bit more rough, a, a bit more, I mean, some people prefer it. Um, 
I, I kind of like spring onion because it's got a, a slightly more delicate taste. Uh, you need about 50 grams of ham. can be any type. It doesn't really have to be too expensive. Um, you need, uh, and this is kind of rare. It's hard to find, and I haven't found it here in the Netherlands, so I'll just leave it out. But what you get in the, like the official restaurant recipe is roasted pork belly. And it's not just roasted pork belly. It's also been flavored. They've added spices. And normally here in the Netherlands, you would buy that at a, a specialty store. But then again, coronavirus. A lot of those stores are closed, so I can't get it. I've, I haven't been able to find it. Maybe I can order it online, but then it will take several days to uh, to arrive, and it's just not worth it. But anyway, the the, the it, it's called in Dutch. It's called babi pangang meat, and the origin again. It sounds a little bit uh, Indonesian, but uh, I, I googled it, and actually, the babi pangang type of preparation goes really back to to certain regions in in China. So it's a specific way to prepare uh, this pork belly. It has to be roasted. Many restaurants kind of take a shortcut and they'll just fry it, but it's it, roasted is much better. You need two eggs and you need uh, about 300 grams of rice. This is for two persons, two people. Uh, so it's about 150 grams of rice per person. Uh, and that can just be uh, white rice. And then from the fridge, or frozen, you need um, about 70 grams of frozen pies. Uh, uh, peas, sorry. Pies? No, not pies. Don't use pies. Use peas. <laughs> Just green peas. And, uh, and then you, you need some uh, spices, salt, of course. MSG, which can leave out, but I prefer it. Uh, that it's, it's a little bit uh, controversial in certain circles, but... Well, I've, I've eaten Chinese food for most of my life, and I still am reasonably healthy, so it uh, hasn't killed me so far, <laughs> but it really helps with the flavor. Uh, you need some white pepper, some rice wine, and some sesame oil. So this is how you prepare it. You already prepared the flavored, flavored oil. You boil the rice. Uh, what is important is to do this at least one day before you are going to make the fried rice. So you just prepare it. Either way, it's indi indicated on the rice that you've bought. And then the, the trick is, you, you, uh, once you've gotten rid of the, of the water, what remains is a, a rice that is, some white rice can become very sticky because of the, the starch. Now, you can also wash the rice before you cook it, but there will always be some starch that will, uh, that will uh, be in the water uh, if you cook the rice. What, what the trick is, you, uh, you take... Um, some tin foil or whatever. Put it on your uh, um, in, in on the kitchen table, and then you spread the rice over the entire surface of the whatever uh, covering you, you've put on your table, and then you let it cool down. And you have to really flatten it. So what it does is it uh, the the water will evaporate much better than if you keep it in a pan, and once it's cooled down completely, you put it in the fridge. You can put it back into a bowl, but it will already start to break up much easier because what you want for fried rice is individual uh, grains of rice. You, you really want that to be not, not to be sticky or, or um, you know, with all sorts of, uh, uh, what is it, clumps, clumps of rice because it won't really absorb the flavor. 
So you put that in the fridge for an entire day or even multiple days, doesn't really matter. But it has to be old rice. That will make it so much easier to make fried rice. My, my big mistake, and I've done this for years, is that I just made the rice fresh. And then I tried to uh, um, saute it with the oil and the ingredients, and it just didn't mix well. I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? Turns out the trick is to use old rice. Um, well, you cut the... The spring onion in piece of wood, what I do is I separate the green from the white. The, the, the white part is what you put in first, and then the green leaves of the, of the spring onions or the leek, you use that for later. For the leek, of course, you don't use the, the really tough parts of the, of the leek, but you can add in a, a little bit of green, it's still edible. Just don't go all the way to the, to the ends of the leek. You cut the ham in small you know, blocks or whatever, um, same thing with the, uh, the roasted pork belly. Usually that's, that comes prepared, so you don't have to roast it yourself. Um, and then uh, once you are, you're ready to, to cook, you put in the oil, you let it heat up very well, um, and you can just use a, a generous amount of oil. The first thing you put in is two eggs. You just... Put them in there, and then you take uh, what I do. I, t I just take chopsticks, um, and I start to make something that looks a bit like scrambled eggs. So you, you try to break it up as much as possible. So you have all this these, these these small pieces of egg. The smaller the better because it will mix well with the with the rice. Um, you can take that out if you want to. If you uh, some people could you could also just leave it in. You add the uh, the white parts of the white pieces of the uh, uh, of the spring onion. You could also use regular onion if you like. I, I usually leave it out because it's got a very strong taste. It quickly overpowers the overall taste of the fried rice. Um, you put in uh, the rice and the ham and then you just start to mix it you, you, and you, you use your chopsticks or a spoon maybe to break up all these individual clumps of rice if there are any left and you just keep mixing this mixing mixing until everything is flavored and 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 and, and nice um you add some salt just try it and not too much at first i would use some white pepper you can use any type of pepper but the white pepper is is nicer because it, it, it kind of turns invisible. It's, it's not like black pepper that you see. Um, you add a bit of, of MSG there too. Just taste, add uh, a little bit if it's not uh, tasty enough. And then here's the secret. You then at the, almost towards the end, you add the green piece, the, the, the frozen green piece. Don't, don't use uh, the ones that are uh, in, in, in glass jars, etc., because those are mushy and they will fall apart and it will uh, make your fried rice a mess. So the, the, fry, the frozen peas are much better because they stay green. So you just, uh, you put them in, they'll, they'll cook quite quickly. And then at the very last moment, you add a bit of rice wine, just a spoonful, and some sesame oil. And then you mix it up, taste a little bit, add some, some more of those uh, uh, condiments if necessary. And that's it. That's it. And then you just put it on your plate and have a ball. <laughs> so that's, that's the scene. And I was so stoked that finally I've discovered how to make it just as tasty 
as the rice that I would normally pay for in a restaurant. Well, of course, I need to pay these ingredients too, but I can make a whole lot of whole lot more fried rice than uh, for for the same amount of money than if I would buy it in the in the restaurant. So there you go. Let me know your recipes because I know that there are. 1,000 different recipes for fried rice. What is your favorite recipe? Let me know, and maybe next time, that's what I'm going to cook. This week in history. Well, I don't really have like global historic events uh, for you, for uh, to share with you, but this week, exactly one year ago, I was walking around in the kingdom of Elfia, and the concept of this fantasy fair or fancy festival is so cool because they present it as a country that only exists two times per year. And it's every time it's a weekend. It starts usually on Friday evening, very late. The, the real fans will, will camp out for, for three days and they will live in that kingdom. And they have two amazing locations in the Netherlands that they use for this uh, festival. One is not far from where I live. It's a Castle Haarzeilands. It is, when you, when you see the photos, maybe you've seen some of my stuff in the past, uh, some of the pictures and some of the videos that I shot there. Um, it looks like a, like a beautiful fairy tale castle. It is spectacular and, and it's surrounded by beautifully uh, beautiful gardens. I mean, to me, it looks, it looks cooler than most castles in France, but of course... <laughs> My French listeners will be extremely insulted when I say that. But it is actually not that old. It's, I think, from the 19th century. So it's uh, it's a very, very recent. And it's been built in a, in a kind of a more fairy tale like style. But historically, it's not that special. But it's just the looks of it. You, you feel like you're in a different world. It, it, this, you're in a kind of a Disney-type environment all of a sudden. And that these gardens are overflowing with thousands and thousands of people all in their own costumes. And almost everyone has homemade costumes. And so people sometimes work for a year on a new dress or a new disguise. Or, and you have all sorts of different types of costumes. Of course, you've got the classical, Baroque, beautiful dresses. And you've got people uh, opting for the steampunk style, so they'll come up with all sorts of combinations of fabric and then mechanical elements and weird glasses and strange equipment they're carrying around. Um, last year, they even had a whole regiment of, uh, of Star Wars fans dressing up in Star Wars costumes. All of which are also home, self-made. You know, it's, it's it's do it yourself. A lot of people don't realize that if they see photos of the five hundred first stormtrooper legion, that that they assume that you just buy those costumes as is. But that's not the case. You can order a costume, but then the only thing you get is a big box full of plastic, and you have to cut it yourself and make it fit your particular body. Because of course, not every stormtrooper is the same. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of, of, of detail in those Star Wars costumes as well. You also have, you know, a fair share of zombies and, and uh, uh, creepy people. You've got the uh, kind of the gothic look that is always popular. Um, You've got pe people in full prosthetics. Uh, like last year, I remember interviewing a, a father who was there with his two sons. And he was dressed up like the blue-colored uh, X-Men. Uh, what was his name again? 
not Olaf, but uh, well, anyway, the um, uh, this, this Catholic superhero who cuts himself because he's uh, he's got so many regrets about things that he did wrong, and uh, he spent like more than two hours in makeup to look like his hero. Uh, so there's sometimes not all because it's usually taking place in the spring, so it, c- it can be very warm or it can be very cold. And, of course, full prosthetics on your face, lots of makeup that's very ho- warm and very hard to do if you're walking around for an entire day. But, of course, those that are in full makeup uh, m- really make an impression. Uh, and then you've got the various franchises always. Uh, always. So, so there's... Uh, Oftentimes a group that does Jurassic Park cosplay or Harry Potter. I mean, it's just countless and countless Harry Potter students from Hogwarts. <laughs> and now also more recently people that dress up in costumes from Fanta- the Fantastic Beasts uh, series. And so there's always something more to discover. You've got storytellers. Uh, those are my favorite people there. Uh, so you just sit down and they will tell you a story. And sometimes they make it up. Sometimes it's existing stories. Um there are uh, events that are more creative where you can uh, learn to play an instrument. So last year you could pl- learn to play the bagpipe or the harp. Um, and they will give these master classes. It's all free. You just pay one you know, entry fee and then you can do whatever you want. Um, there are also usually courses in dancing, so all, all sorts of types of dancing. And there is a lot of dancing during the concerts. There are various stages where they play all sorts of, you know, Celtic music or um, uh, backpipes and, and dance music. Uh, I mean, like classical dance. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see so many people having a great time. And then what's also extremely um characteristic of these fantasy fairs and one of one of the things i always look forward to they have very very good food so you'll have barbecue stands you'll have uh um like these apples dipped in in caramelized sugar um they'll have uh, these sort of pancakes and then you can just make your own you can cover it with anything you want, but the, the, the main ingredient that is omnipresent at that stand is garlic. So they have got a lot, lot of lots of garlic sauces. So <laughs> it's one of the most popular uh, uh, types of food uh, during during Elfia. Um, pretzels. There are these uh, people walking around selling pretzels. I always, always get like these big German pretzels. I think they're German or may- maybe they're from Austria. And so it's this nice doughy uh, flavor. Some are, are salted. Uh, my favorite pretzel, which I, I, I'd rather just buy it there instead of trying to make it myself, is uh, cheese pretzels. So it's, it's uh, dough fi- uh, mixed with cheese. And, oh, it's so delicious. I'm actually getting hungry talking about it. And... What I love about the other location of Elfia is later in the year, usually it's around September, so I still have a little bit of hope that maybe this year we can all go there. It's in Arson, it's in the south of the country. That's a a newer castle. Um, The castle itself is not that special, although it does have water around it, which the other, well, actually, no, both castles have water around it. but that, that particular castle in the south has amazing gardens. They've got themed gardens. So the garden itself is uh, is relatively big, but it is all divided in, let's say, a Japanese garden, a French 
Renaissance type garden, um, like a jungle garden. They've got waterfall, artificial waterfalls where they pump up the water. And so for photographers, and of course, this is a this is heaven for for cosplay photographers. Um, it's almost like every every ten meters, you will find a totally different looking environment. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun to walk around there because for the price of one admission ticket, or for for the admission price of one ticket, you get to walk in in uh, tons of different environments. So it's a joy for me also to be there because. Yeah, I can film and I love to do interviews. And uh, I've been uh, uh, filming quite a bit during the second day, I think, of Elfia in springtime last year, so exactly one year ago. And yesterday, I've been uh, spending a couple of hours finally editing that footage. So I had uh, I'd interviewed, um, for instance, a Tolkien uh community or Tolkien group and they actually had two subgroups one is the more literary uh, interested group and so they will have conferences about Tolkien's work and they will also read stuff you know the other stuff uh, next to the the, the middle earth based uh, fantasy um, so I spoke a bit with them but th those conversations were a little bit too academic for my for my edit like maybe I'll keep that for a specific Tolkien documentary and then there was another subgroup that was uh, um, specialized in in Tolkien lifestyle and so for three days and I wish I could be part of that for three days they will live as if Elfia is Middle Earth they set up tents they cook recipes hobbit recipes elven recipes they make music they sit around campfires um they talk of course about middle earth and uh the they they have created props so that the you just step into that camp campment where they are and and you really feel like the, oh, this is a light, tiny little piece of middle earth in the netherlands and uh that's a really cool conversations there which I filmed. Um, I also had uh, a couple of interviews with people dressed up in Harry Potter costumes. So uh, there was this woman, uh, this mother, who had dressed up as Trelawney. And uh, her entire family was there. It was a lot of fun because the kids were also dressed up. And uh, the kids had challenged their dad to also make a costume. And so last year, so the, the no, actually not last year, but the year before that, the, one of the kids was dressed as Tinkerbell. And then I think her father kind of made fun of her. And then so she challenged her father to for this past year to dress up like Tinkerbell himself. And this guy has a huge beard and he smokes cigars and everything. So he actually did what his daughter asked him to do. And so he was walking around in this Tinkerbell costume, but with hairy legs and a big beard and a huge cigar. And so he, he renamed himself Tinker Beast. So you've got Mother Trelawney, Father Tinker Beast, and then two kids dressed up as fantasy animals or something like that. And they had, we were having a blast. And I had a, a great interview with the... Uh, the mom who used to be actually who is a an English teacher, and she said that what she what she appreciates about the Harry Potter franchise or saga is that in in a lot of children's books, um, the stories are most of the time just black and white. You've got the good guys 
and you've got the bad guys. You've got the evil sorcerer, and then you've got the virtuous hero. Whereas in Harry Potter, she says, it's much more gray. You've got a lot of people that have their flaws, and they have their qualities, and they have to overcome. Even even Harry Potter himself, he's got a lot of flaws, but he has to overcome them. So he's he's growing in the stories. And that also is sometimes why people criticize Harry Potter. Well, you know, what kind of role model is this kid? Because he's, you know, doing a lot of things that you, you, you don't want kids to do. But it's part of the story. It's, it, it, what makes Harry Potter, according to this mom, so interesting is that the kids in Harry Potter are very much like real kids. They do mess up. They make mistakes. They, they have their flaws. And yet, despite their flaws, they, there's always hope. There's always the opportunity to, to improve yourself, to learn from your mistakes. And, and, and so it's, it's a story that is carried by flawed characters, and that, to her, makes it so interesting. And also such a good educational tool. She, she, her kids are also fans of, of Harry Potter, and she talks about also the misadventures of these, of these kids in, in the Harry Potter universe, because that's what the, her children recognize. And so they learn from the mistakes that the, the kids in Harry Potter make. I thought it was a very interesting take on, on why the Harry Potter uh, franchise uh, is, is so special and, and kind of rare in the world of children's books. So it was really interesting too. And then she, her, her Trelawney costume was, was amazing. Actually, I, I remember that in September last year when I went to the Arson version of Elfia, I walked into another woman dressed up like Trelawney, almost identical costume. So I started talking to her as if, you know, hey, it's so good to see you again. And she was like, uh, wait, have we met before? And it turned out it was a totally different person. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, but your costume is just identical to the one that of, of, of someone that I met in, in, in spring. So, but anyway, I had a good conversation with that lady too. Didn't film it though. Um, also, it did some smaller interviews. One of the most interesting interviews was with a uh, was with uh, uh, a friend of mine who is a uh, uh, it's called Dutch Dumbledore. So he used to always uh, cosplay Gandalf, and then just little by little, he, he people would gift him props from for Dumbledore or Harry Potter stuff, and uh, someone once said, "You know, I I could see you like Dumbledore, a big beard." suits you well but why don't you try out Dumbledore and just at one point he was like okay I get the message people want me to be Dumbledore I'll be Dumbledore and it was an instant success and what he said uh, was also very interesting he said uh, cosplaying is different from from uh, someone who is who is uh, playing theater uh, when you cosplay you take a lot from the character that you portray, but you also always mix in something of your own personality, your own character. And a good cosplayer is a blend of the hero that he or she represents, and your own personality is not gone, but you try to integrate those two. And uh, so that's why he calls himself the Dutch Dumbledore. He doesn't want to be just Dumbledore and, and, and try to mimic everything that the movie Dumbledore does. He's like, I'm my own version of Dumbledore. And one of the things that he has a knack for, and I've seen that multiple times, is he's just a very good... When he is in costume, when he is Dumbledore, everybody just goes to him and just starts to tell him about everything that's, you know, troubling them or weighing on them. And he's a, he's a good listener. And, and there is something about his persona that is extremely welcoming. 
And so you often see him hugging other people and consoling them, and they will just break out in tears because he's like this this character that you can just confide anything to. And uh, and he started to notice that that happened, and it just surprised him. He was like, I don't know what's happening, but you know, this is something good. This is this is definitely I can mean something. I, I, it's more than just dressing up like like Gandalf or or Dumbledore. You know, I I can help people here during these events. And so he created at home in 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 regular life. He is a um, a PC operator, someone who does the 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 uh, yeah, as the entire computer department of a school. That's what he works on. So it's a different type of magic. But be, before he goes to any of these events, he he makes these small wooden hearts, and I think. It says hope on these hearts. And he says, uh, for, for me, I always, when people uh, start to tell me their entire lives and they really want some advice, I, I always give them one of those hearts as a, as a souvenir. Um, because to, for him, that is the central message of Harry Potter, is that it is about love as the ultimate form of magic. All other magic that you hear about in, in Harry Potter is just actually just a gimmick. It doesn't really to the, it doesn't really matter to the story. Magic itself doesn't really solve anything, but what really matters in the Harry Potter story is love. And that love heals people, love forgives, love is able to conquer evil. And so love is the ultimate form of magic. And that is something that even if you are just a cosplayer, you can still practice that type of magic by listening, by comforting people, by helping them, um, and 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 there is there is something magical about his encounters with with other people. So I was I was like I was filming that interview. I was so impressed. Like wow, that is not very far from the kind of work that I do as a priest. It's very similar. Um, so yeah, just great encounters like that. And and so I put all that together and posted it on YouTube the other day. Unfortunately, I, I ran out of time because I had to uh, do my geek mass, um, so I didn't have time to to add subtitles to it for my English followers. But maybe I'll just sit down tonight and you know next couple of days and and try to translate the the text in English. Or maybe, well, probably not. I was like, well, maybe I'll make a full English version of that documentary. But no, why would I? Uh, I'm also working on other stuff that is uh, has more. You know, it's more, a little bit more urgent, like the the Scotland uh, episodes. So, if you want to check it out, just go to uh, youtube.com slash Father Roderick, and then you'll be able to, uh, at least if you don't understand Dutch and there are no subtitles yet, you can still enjoy the images. Ooh, this is loud. Sorry about that. <laughs> this one jingle is a little bit too uh, overpowering. This is my jingle for the comics section, and um, as you know, I'm trying to read comics every week and I've discovered uh, this very cool series based on the Fantastic Four um, and what I love about that that comic series is the style. I also like the premise so apparently this is a follow-up to a story that I haven't read doesn't really matter but uh, the kind of the result of that adventure of the Fantastic Four is that two of the four are missing um, the guy who is super elastic didn't do my homework so i was um, is it mr fantastic or something you know the guy who can stretch up in all directions and then uh, the um, sue the invisible she, she can turn in 
become invisible. Apparently, in 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 previous stories, they married and had kids, and that entire family is is has disappeared. And so you've got uh, the thing and uh, the 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 flame on dude uh, that are now in a world where you know the Fantastic Four has turned into the Fantastic Two, and of course, it's all about trying to to reunite the Fantastic Four. Um, but I like, I really like the style. It uses more muted colors. Um, it's it's very accessible. Sometimes uh, these comics, I try to read these stories, and they pr- kind of presume that you know so much. Um, whereas this is really made for people that don't know much about the Fantastic Four, and so it, it, you could just start the story, and and it's compelling reading. It's 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 very filmic the way they uh, they did it. Uh, so it's it's not the classic comic book style. It's a little bit more, I don't know, just like looking at uh, something that has been kind of painted. I I just really, really love the style. So Fantastic Four from 2018. Um, But but of course, what's most important is the story. And I just love reading that story. Um, So happy to have discovered that. quick tip um star wars backgrounds maybe you've seen this already in your timeline but in case you've missed it i definitely want to let you know that this is something you don't want to miss if you go to starwars.com there's actually now a page where you can download star wars backgrounds that you can use for your conference calls for skype for zoom i don't think that slack does background replacement uh, but there are a number, actually my, the software that I use to stream, uh, to stream my podcast, but also stream masses, Ecamm also allows you to do green screen replacement. And uh, Star Wars has made, uh, because a lot of people are now, of course, only meeting virtually through through these, these new, you know, all these, these platforms that exist, Microsoft Teams. Um, and and uh, it's kind of, you don't always want people to see the background of your home because, well, it can be very messy or, or maybe it's just not very pretty. Now you can have the bridge of a Star Destroyer uh, behind you, which makes you also a little bit cooler, you know, a bit more authoritative. Um, so check those out. I've downloaded all of them and I've already used one of them uh, during one of my live uh, podcasts the other week. Very, very cool. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, spring, spring cleaning. So the f- first few weeks of, of the corona crisis were just extremely busy. Um, and it's still ex- very, very busy. I make long days. There's a lot to do. Um, but I'm forcing myself to also spend a couple hours every day to just cleaning up. Um, and it's, it's really necessary. I haven't done a good cleaning of my home, of my house for a long time. Um, and I'm also trying to kind of clean up the archives of the media. The, the te- TV season is over now, so I can finally just get everything from my desktop. Am I the only one who has a desktop with like a thousand files on it? Anyway, I try to organize everything in um, and... and uh, kind of sort it onto various hard drives and then I have to make sure that I take those hard drives to the office and back them up so that we have at least one offsite copy of everything. And we've started to clean up the church. The St. Joseph's Church next to my rectory here is the church that we use to stream 
all our masses and all our celebrations uh, for two parishes. And uh, what I, I think I already shared is that in order to do that well, we had to rearrange the entire church um, because, well, you really want to show, uh, you want to, I, I, I think it's very important to take good care of the quality, image quality of mass. Mass is such an important event. And so I think the beauty of the images should correspond to the beauty of what you're celebrating. So I've been uh, spending several weeks with other people trying to arrange the altar in such a way that it just works. But we also discovered how dirty the church was. The There's carpet underneath the altar for some reason. This church has been uh, painted over in the 60s by uh, a modern priest who... Uh, Got rid of a lot of the beautiful stuff in the church. It's very unforgivable. He's dead now, but uh, oh man. If I could go back in time with a DeLorean, I would definitely stop him from ruining the church. So the carpet on the floor is from that time, from that era. So it's super old and dirty and unhygienic, and we could just couldn't clean it anymore. So I was like, well... You know what? That that priest, that one priest ruined the church. Let me be the priest that restores the church and let's make it beautiful again. So I've been lobbying and trying to... And it's so hard. It's so hard to make changes because people are attached. They attach even to ugly <laughs> because it's what they're used to. So the moment I start proposing, well, we could, this church could be so more beautiful, so so much better. It's just the the amount of lobbying, the time they have to take, the, the amount of communication to get everyone uh, in the same direction. That's been a real challenge, but also interesting because I I believe that the result will be spectacular. This church already is now now that we're we've started started to clean, is becoming so much more pretty and more beautiful. So we're going to work with uh, both a rearrangement of the stuff that we have. Uh, we're going to work with lights. And hopefully, you know, step by step, we will be able to restore a lot of the beauty of this church. Because in itself, it's a beautiful church. It's just been, it's been so ruined. And one of the things, and I talk about that in, maybe you've already listened to it in uh, my latest episode of The Walk. What I discovered is uh, how important it is to really to lead, to show this is where we're going and this is what we're going to do. And I, I finally have time now and focus because all the other churches are closed and will probably be closed for for weeks to come. I can focus on this church and, and I have a reason to improve the the way the church looks because, well, this is our showcase. We're, we're, this is the virtual home of parishioners of so many different villages and towns. And so there's a good reason to make this look beautiful because it helps people to 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 experience the beauty of liturgy and the beauty of liturgy is not just the gestures and the rituals it's also the beauty of the setting in which it is i mean look at our cathedrals they're they're amazing why in the 60s did they think it was a good idea to paint everything white it's just <laughs> why um anyway and the, the, another reason for us to to clean up the church and to rearrange it and to uh, also to get rid of a lot of this stuff is that we need to be prepared for 
the next phase in this whole corona crisis. When once we are allowed to celebrate Mass with with the faithful again, and I don't think that anytime soon it will be more than just, I don't know, 40 or 50 people because you have to kind of stay. I think, I think that social distancing is going to be around for a long, long time. We just can't take the risk for a, a resurgence of the virus. So even if at one point the, the regulations are loosened up a little bit, we will still have to create room, not just in the church itself, but also room in the sacristy. So we used to have a, a relatively small sacristy, and it's even smaller because the, the amount of junk that people put in that sacristy. Um, and just the whole arrangement of the furniture is just, ugh, it's just one of these. I've, I've, I've been irritated. <laughs> every time I go to that sacristy, and I've been here for many years, I was like, well, why did they put it like this? It is just ugly. It is dirty. It needs to be cleaned up and it needs to be restored. But every time I proposed, it was like, yeah, 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 we'll do that next year. And then, of course, it means never. Um, there is then a small corridor. And on one side of the corridor, uh, it's just a, a whole row of cupboards. And it's those cupboards are filled with uh, uh, partitions, choir partitions. We have a lot of choirs in, in, in our parishes. The thing is, choirs, too, have a tendency to never throw anything away because it may come in handy. <laughs> So a lot of that stuff, I think, they will never sing again, even if they wanted to. They will never live to see, they will never, never the members of a lot of these choirs will never live long enough to be able to sing all that. So what I, what I hope that we can do is to invite every choir, just take a hard look at the stuff that you've stored here and practice some minimalism. Just think, what haven't we touched in the last five years? Or ten, well, make it 10 years. Throw everything away that you've never touched for 10 years. You'll probably not touch it in the next couple of, ten, of years. So let's throw that away and let's, let's really only keep what we're using, what is useful. That will probably get rid of 80% of the, of the paper that is in those cupboards. And then if we empty those cupboards, they can be used for what is in the second sacristy. There is a second sacristy at the back of the building. Um, which is now used to store stuff. I think at least half of, the, the, of that room is filled with material for the people that used to make the flower arrangements in the church. It's just an incredible pile of vases and fake flowers. And the thing is, the group that does the flowers is now very old. I think there's only one person that still makes some arrangements, and she, she always uses plastic flowers because all the others are too old. And so, again, it's a situation where you wonder, but why do we keep all this stuff if we never use it? So I want to go and take a look at that and get rid of everything they don't use anymore. And what I then want to do is to create, to make, to turn that back into a real sacristy for the acolytes and the altar children. So they can prepare there. The children have a little bit more leeway when it comes to the corona situation because uh, apparently they're not as contagious or not very likely to be infected or to infect other people. So what I want is to keep the, the younger uh, acolytes there 
and, and I'm not talking about the current situation because we only have one acolyte usually is also the sacristan. But in the future, when we may be able to use, you know, more than one acolyte, that's where I want them to, to change. And then the priest can be in the other sacristy so that once you start mass, we can create uh, a procedure so that we can always keep our distance. If we don't, we will be uh, putting people at risk. And I just don't want that. I don't want the church to be a place where you could get infected and maybe, uh, you know, get, 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 get in so much trouble that, you know, your, your, your health will be seriously affected. The, the church is a place of healing, not a place where you want to get sick. So, but it is a very good argument, I think, to uh, really work hard to prepare that. So once the situation changes, we'll be ready for it. And the added advantage, of course, is that the church will be clean again, right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so the, you 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 won't you you can't imagine the stuff that I come across when I'm cleaning up. So I'm I'm just cleaning out the cupboards that no one owns. So. Some of them are used by the choirs, but there is also just just random junk stuff. So I I I found booklets for baptism, and it's like they're from the sixties. I'm kind of like I check everything, and I'm like, oh, there's no way in the world that you would be allowed to to use those that type of liturgy. It's it's a part of the this the craze in the sixties where people would just do anything. They would create their own. Eucharistic prayers and stuff. So everything I come across that is no longer allowed, I just destroy it. <laughs> I don't want anyone to use that. And I don't think that anyone will use it in the future. But uh, and then I also found some, some educational material from the 30s. This church is 100 years old. So there's this booklet about the life of the Virgin Mary, and it's got these ancient drawings. It's It's for kids. It's to read with your kids. And it's so funny. So those I'm going to keep because that is just you know, uh, it's stuff that I'd love to put in a in a small museum or something like that. But it you know it's no use keeping like a hundred copies of the same booklet. So I'll just keep one and we'll get rid of the other stuff. But uh, unfortunately, almost nothing remains from the early uh, times in this church. I I think that that one priest in the sixties got got rid of almost everything, including statues and. Uh, vestments, it's its nowhere to be found. What we have dates back to the 70s, and it is ugly. Oh, it's so ugly. We found chasubles, and oh, it's all so mediocre. So, uh, yeah, cleaning up is a, is a very therapeutic thing to do. <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, and with that, I think, oh, no, uh, there's one more thing that I need to talk about, Star Wars. How can I forget? Battlefront 2, I was ready to go to the kitchen and eat some fried rice, but no, no, I promised to talk about Battlefront 2. Um, so I've been, you know, most of the times when I play Battlefront 2, it's because people ask me to play it. It's, I'm not very good at that game. Um, so I usually fail uh, whenever I try to, to win a game, I just get killed immediately. But anyway, uh, there is also this um, uh, this solo player uh it's almost like a like an extended tutorial. It's a very cool story that you play through, where you play uh, a um, uh, a young woman who works for the Empire, and this is all post Return of the Jedi. 
Her dad is a is an officer in the in, in Darth Vader's or what remains of Darth Vader's army, and um, she get in touch with the rebellion, etc. The cool thing about that story is that you get to visit some of the planets that we know from the movies, and not just the ones from the original trilogy, but you also go to some places that you will later on in the timeline will see in the sequels. So I was so impressed by. Uh, the planet, what was it, where, where you have Masconatus Castle? Masconatus Castle is just one of those wasted opportunities where they, they just included so many cool details and you had a ton of fantastic-looking aliens, but you only see glimpses. You, you stay there for a couple of minutes and then the mo story moves on again. Well, for the video game, they used all the blueprints from the, from the movie sets and probably also a lot of photo photographic material of the movies, and rebuilt that entire castle and its environment for the game. And it is so cool. Oh, it's so beautiful. I was almost regretting that I had to kind of go through this stage. I, fortunately, I can go back and revisit that place. But I just like to walk around there and just admire the set building and the quality of that of that entire environment. It is amazing. Um, the same is true for Theed. Theed is the planet on Naboo uh, of Padme Amidala, where you have this, this beautiful kind of Italian-looking city. Again, in the prequels, you don't get to see... Well, actually, you do see a lot of Theed, but it's always in the same place. They went to um, a castle in, in Italy... Uh, to film most of those scenes. The same castle was used also in uh, the movie The Two Popes to portray the Vatican. Uh, so there's a lot of marble stairs and stuff. It's very recognizable. But uh, you're, in the movies, you kind of miss how... You, they don't show you how all these buildings uh, relate to each other. So you see glimpses of it. And, and of course, the whole Theed and the prequels were made, what is it, more than 20 years ago. So the special effects and it, it, it just didn't look that good. So they recreated Theed in Battlefront 2. <laughs> oh, wow. They did such a tremendous job. So the, the, I had only played the the multiplayer scenes in... Uh, in the uh, Caserta uh, set. So Caserta is the name of the palace in Italy, the real palace, where, where they filmed a lot of the prequel scenes, the in interior palace scenes. Um, but in the multiplayer segments of the game, you don't get to go outside. And in the solo campaign, you do get to walk around in Theed. And it looks so amazing. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. You really act like... Just give me a game where I can just walk around. I, I wish they would do, maybe in the future they will, give me a virtual reality version of this and I'll never take off the glasses anymore. <laughs> I just want to be in those Star Wars environments and just walk around and pretend I'm there. Well, that's what this game really allows you to do. So even if you're not a gamer, but you are a Star Wars fan, picking a Battlefront 2, it's not that expensive anymore. Just to be able to walk around in these Star Wars environments is is worth it. Uh, you also get to play like Luke or Lando or Leia. Um, it's kind of a mixed bag. Luke doesn't look that much like Mark Hamill. 
but Leia is, pr is pretty amazing. Even the voice actress who 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 kind of voices her her lines in the game is gets pretty close. <laughs> and then Lando is also pretty good, and Lando is voiced uh, by Billy G. Williams. So there's a lot to enjoy, and there's still a lot missing. The, the original Battlefront One had also recreated very cool environments like Hoth and some other planets that are not available in Battlefront Two. But maybe over time they will add it to the game. And then there is some stuff, of course, missing from the last movie. Uh, so I, I hope that maybe they'll save it for Battlefront Three. But uh, I'm, I'm still kind of hoping that we will get to play around in some of the sets of the Rise of Skywalker. But well, that's just a that's just a dream. All right, that's it for today. Time to wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Father Roderick to the Max. Let me know if you enjoy this. And if you have any questions or topics that you want me to talk about, please let me know. You know where to find me. 